Man, I'm full. <laughs> you guys are missing good meals. You better start coming out on Wednesday. But anyway, uh, I'm finding out that when I'm not teaching, Pastor Brian and Pastor Jonathan, we don't miss a beat. So don't be kicking me to the curve. Keep it going. Uh, I love that. But we are in the 17th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. Been a great book. 17th chapter. And you know, as we're going through this chapter, the the scripture often, you know, it teaches issues of belief and unbelief. And the way it does that is by using contrast. The Bible narratives usually sets different people before one another, and the Lord, as he interacts with one another, we see how he works in either one's life. And all of these contrasts, none is more evident than the one we will look at tonight between Saul and David. Since Samuel informed Saul last week, chapter 13, he said this, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. What that means, a person who has God's agenda that's ever before him. What is the Lord's will in my life? Who rejoices rejoices over the thing that God rejoices over? Who mourns over the things the Lord mourns over? That's a person that's after God's own heart. He's there to bring glory to the Lord. And we're going to find out that guy is David. David is not the only one. We still have the opportunity now that we're children of God to be a man, a woman, a boy, a girl after the Lord's heart. He says this. He said, the Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you, speaking of Saul. David is presented to us as Saul's opposite. And we will see that all the way through the remainder of the book of 1 Samuel. David and Goliath, we will see a contrast between them two also. But the main contrast is between David and Saul. The Holy Spirit will reveal that to us time and time again. As we know, David was led by the Spirit. And his every decision was made in the will of God and for the glory of God. That's the main thing. Saul was a self-consumed, self-absorbed man. The only thing Saul cared about is me, myself, and I. How do I look in the presence of the people? That's all his concern was about. So finally, God tells Samuel, it's time. Pastor Jonathan talked about there is a season of mourning. We should do that. But then there's a time when the mourning should cease That's what God is speaking to Samuel. It's time for you to go and anoint my choice of king. I've let the people have their choice. We see how that worked out. But now go and anoint the man I want to be king. So when he goes to Jesse's house, some of the guys come out, Eliab, Abinadab, Shammah. It was none of those guys. Uh, Samuel finally asked, do you have any more kids? Oh, yeah, we have one more taking care of the flock in the sheep pen. So he brings David. David is anointed right then and there. The oil is poured on him. The anointing of the Lord comes upon him. And this is what the scripture says. From that day forward. From that day forward. It did not say that about Saul because Saul wasn't God's appointed man. But it is David. Chapter 16, verse 14 says this. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And I like the way how Pastor Jonathan explained it, but I want to look at one verse, a couple of verses here. And I think about 1 Kings chapter 22, and and the backdrop of that, is Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, he goes to visit the king of Israel, a wicked king. His name was Ahab. And so when Jehoshaphat goes down there, 
Ahab begins to say, hey, you're friends with me. We're, we're linked to one another. How about going to a war with me against Ramoth Gilead, the king of Syria? And before uh, Jehoshaphat can even pray about it, he quickly says, yeah, we're linked. We're one. We'll do that. But then he comes to his senses, Jehoshaphat does, and he says, first, let's inquire from the Lord. So we know the story. Ahab goes and gets his 400 prophets. They're not prophets of Yahweh. And he says, you guys prophesy. But Jehoshaphat stops that in their track also. And he says, don't you have any prophets of Yahweh around here? Ahab says, yes. But he never prophesies anything good, so I don't like listening to him. (laughs) But he said, Jehoshaphat says, go and get him. Let's see what he's going to say. So 1 King chapter 22, verses, a lengthy verse, but that's okay. It's the word of God, 13 through 28. I want to show you something. This is what it says. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micaiah spoke to him, saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. All the rest of them have spoken encouragement. Micaiah, you do the same thing. And Micaiah said, As the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. Then he came to the king, and the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall we refrain? And he answered him, go and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. He must have said it just nonchalantly, like, yeah, go on and do it. But Ahab recognized that. He says, so the king said to him, how many times shall I make you swear that you, sh- you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he said, and here he begins his prophecy. He says, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy prophesy good concerning me but evil? Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Chenanah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, Which way did the spirit from the Lord go from me to speak to you, smart Alec? But notice what Micaiah says. And Micaiah said, indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into an inner chamber to hide. So the king of Israel said, take Micaiah and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say, thus says the king, Put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace, Ahab says. But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. God is in control of powers and principalities and everything. Colossians 1, 15, 17 puts it this way, speaking of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn, the unique one, one of a kind over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. God is sovereign. 
He rules over everything. He allows these demonic spirits to go and do his bidding. And that's what happens here with Saul, this distressing spirit. Chapter 17 says this, verses 1 through 3. Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and, and were gathered at Sokoth, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Sokoth and Azekah in Ephesdamon, 13 miles away from Jerusalem. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, a deep ravine valley, two hills on either side, both sides, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side, with the valley between them. I like to think about it this way. One group is scared and the other group is glad of it. We're going to see this until they begin to fight. No one wants to fight. They just want to talk back and forth. But this is a watershed moment for Saul because this will be the first time Saul goes to battle without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He has this uh, distressing spirit upon him and he's going to find out It's not about being handsome or being head and shoulders taller than anyone, the natural makeup of a person. It's about do you have the anointing of the Lord? Do you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you and allowing him to work inside of us? So he's going to be defeated here. Zechariah says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit. Saith the Lord. That's always will be the way it works for a believer if we want anything to endure for Christ. He says in verse 4, and a champion, Benaim, a man that stands in between. That's what that word champion means. He was trained, he was equipped, and he was naturally gifted to step forth in between these two armies, and he was going to battle whoever would come out there. So he says, And a champion went out from the camp of of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Some say that's nine feet, six inches. Some say it's nine feet, feet, nine inches. Either way, he'd be in the NBA if he had any kind of skills. Just think about it. Shaquille O'Neal, when he played basketball, he was seven foot two inches. And since I like basketball, Shaquille O'Neal, proportionately, he's a huge man. He's not like he has long legs and skinny body, all those things. He's proportionately fit. That's the way I can imagine Goliath here. He's no skinny guy. He's a well-proportioned, big, huge guy. But the Guinness Book of Records, I have something for you. They say the tallest man, his name was Robert, his name was Robert Wadlow. He was 8 feet 11 inches tall, but he was a skinny dude, like I was saying, and he died in 1940. But it says, anyway, speaking of Goliath, he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze, about 125 pounds. On this leather, probably, coat, there were sewn on it all of these brass pennies that would protect him almost like an alligator, a crocodile, uh, levels upon levels to protect him. And it says, and he had a bronze armor on his leg, like the catcher's shin guards, they were there to protect him also, and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. This bronze javelin, I've looked at many pictures that people depicted of what Goliath looks like. But all of the pictures I noticed, I I was thinking they never must not have read the Bible. Because this javelin they speak of is really a type of a sword. And on one end, it almost had like a sickle blade on one end. But on the other end, about they said about six feet long probably, have you ever seen He-Man or Thor has the sword behind his back? Well, that's what he had. And the tip of the other part of the sword, which was a javelin, they said the tip of that weighed 15 pounds. So it's very heavy. 
He says then, now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, 15 pounds, and a a shield bearer went before him. This is very indicative of the world's armor. Saul has confidence in this natural armor that he has received, and he has confidence in himself. And the Bible always tells us not to ever have confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3.3 tells us, Paul speaking, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. He also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 19 through 20, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? It's all right to have knowledge. It's all right to have understanding. But what's greater than all of that is wisdom and understanding from the Lord. So he says in verse 8, then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? That's what he says. And he's saying, am I not a pagan? And you guys really are holy rollers? And you guys are afraid of me? I'm just a pagan. And he's boasting in that. And then he says, and you, the servants of Saul. They knew about Saul. The question is, where is God's honor in all of this? Goliath, he's associating Saul with Yahweh and his honor. And if Saul is behaving cowardly as he is, so is his God. That's how they see it. That's how it works even today. Scripture tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. So it matters, you guys, how we live, because we either bring glory to God or we give his enemies a reason to diminish and devalue the perception of God anyway. We can't diminish or devalue him, but the way we live sideways and crookedly at sometimes, we can give that perception that our God is weak, our God can't deliver us from the power of sin. If we're still wallowing in it, that's the problem. That's why we need to live holy lives here. Goliath says, choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will, bear, we will be your servants. He's lying right there. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. Now, the obvious person that should be fighting this battle, we know, is Saul. He was head and shoulders over everyone in Israel. He was the king. It was his responsibility to lead the men into battle. He should have been the one fighting. But my question is, where is Abner? Where is Jonathan at this time? We know what he's done, his great exploits, but where is he now? And this is the problem I think we have. If you are a leader of men, the men that you are leading will reflect the spirit of their leader. And that's the problem that Saul is having now. Saul, the spirit of the Lord has departed from him. This distressing spirit is upon him and it reflects and it shows on everyone else. That's why I don't think Jonathan is out there. It says, and the Philistines said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. I challenge your God. I challenge his power. I resist him boldly. I'm flaunting myself in front of your God. He says, give me a man that we may fight together. Verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, verse 12, the reason David's family is mentioned again, because it was stated in the previous chapter, is because 
what the, the, the scripture is wanting to show us, the things that Saul, well, Goliath was leaning on, the armor of flesh, and how big he was and all of the protection he has against David. He was a man of the covenant of the Lord. So we have that contrast going on here. David is with all of the promises of God from Abraham all the way up. David is in line for all of these promises. He's a man of faith. Now, David was the son of of Ephratite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. Once again, David and Goliath, David is working in the spirit, being led by the spirit. Goliath is a worldly man. He's a fleshly man. Perhaps he might even be a demonic man. Remember the Anakins? Tell you a quick story, and I know we got to finish this chapter. My grandkids, my wife gave me the look not to say anything. (laughs) I love them. But I'm going to say this. They are huge kids. And from little, I wish I was tall as Justice. I mean, Justice is about 6'2", a big guy. But even when he was about three or four, this guy was big. And I used to say, baby, we're going to have some Anakin. These kids are Anakins. Think of the Anakins. Where did they come from? A lot of people said with the flood, the Nephilim, they came from that area. We know that Goliath has four more brothers. So these guys are huge. And he's using this fear tactic to get to the the children of Israel. He says, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons, and the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. Verse 13, the three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to the battle. The names of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, next to him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Remember, uh, David was a minstrel. And a minstrel is an excellent uh, player of an instrument. He wasn't so-so. He was good. And that's why they found him. And he would go and play his harp, play his lyre, and it would soothe Saul's spirit. But now that Saul is out to war, out to battle... He doesn't need David anymore. So he's going back and forth. And believe me, David would have enlisted in this battle anyway if he was of age. So we know he was younger than 20 because Numbers tells us you had to be at least 20 years of age to be enlisted in war. So verse 16 tells us, And the Philistines drew near and presented himself 40 days, morning and evening, speaking of Goliath, morning and evening, he would go out and defame and defy the living God. And when I thought about morning and evening, he would defy them so much. I think the only reason he would go out in morning and evening, what would the children of Israel do every morning and every evening? They would take that lamb and make a sacrifice every morning and every evening, and they were saying, we should be sacrificing, we should be doing this, and we're watching him defame us. It's, it's amazing. And, and then he says, he presented himself for 40 days. The number 40 always speaks of a definite period of testing. The children of Israel was in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus was tempted by Satan for 40 days So that's the time of testing where you pass that test. And it's exactly 40 days that Goliath has been going out and coming in. There was no man in the army that would go out and accept this challenge. So they were defeated. They were devoid of faith. They had lost the battle in and of itself right there. Then Jesse said to his son, And he's telling him this. He'll do this the next day. Then Jesse said to to his son, David, take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these 10 loaves and run to your brothers at the camp and carry these 10 cheeses to the captain of of their thousand and see how your brothers fare and bring back news of them. In those days, you would have to go and supply food not only for your kin, 
but for the captains and other people there. So that's what he's doing there. He goes, he drops his his food off at the depot, and he goes down like any 14, 15-year-old kid goes down to the battlefield. And I'm sure David having huspah, that was his issue. He he wasn't a, a boastful guy, but he was confident, not in himself, but in the Lord. So he probably wanders down to the battle lines and says, hey, you guys kicking booty yet? Hey, I'm sure y'all are beating people up. None of those things. That's why they get upset with him. It says in verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. They're not fighting. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper. Good job. He's a steward over his things and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to to the fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array or formation, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath. Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words that he's been saying for 40 days. So David heard them. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. It's one of my favorite Westerns, but you'll know the, this part of it. Dave, David says, I'm your huckleberry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's what he literally says, probably. So he says, Because what happens, David hears this giant, Goliath, defaming God, and it pricks David's heart. You know why it pricks David's heart? Because it pricks God's heart. And David is a man after God's heart. So he just, that was just eating him up. It says, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. David must have had a look of bewilderment, a look of astonishment as he sees the army fleeing because notice what it says in verse 25. So the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. So what Saul is doing, he's trying to bribe the men to go to battle. If you have to bribe someone to go to battle, I think Jesus Christ calls that a hireling. And even if they're trying to bribe and get a hireling to come and fight, they won't even do that. Once again, they have no faith. No one has taken up this task yet. Goliath's challenge in verse 8. It was really a test of confidence in the Lord. They have no confidence. They have no faith in the Lord. That's why no one has made a move to go and fight Goliath. Remember, am I not a God-hating pagan? Am I not a Philistines? Then why don't you bring someone out to fight me? You must not really believe in your God at all. That's exactly what he's saying. And because of their actions or lack thereof, he has proven his point to all of them. They didn't believe in their God. And Goliath was now emboldened to continue to react the same ways. These are the kind of tests that the world likes to impose on believers. We're fine when things are going well. They say, well, anybody can can walk when things are going well. But the test is to walk when things are going sideways, when it's tough to even get up in the morning, when the family is not right and the kids are not right. Are you going to the bar? Are you going to the club? Are you, are you going to act like unbelievers? Are you going to continue to walk with the Lord? When we do that, that's when we bring glory and honor to God. It's fine in theory. It's fine when, okay, I'm teaching Sunday school and I'm telling you all of these different accounts 
or I'm listening to a teaching, or maybe I'm teaching, and I can tell you about faith and all those things. But when the rubber meets the road, when truly the lab work takes place, who is our faith? Who is our confidence in? And that's what's happening here. How will we respond? Verse 26, then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, what shall be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach, the hetpa, the scorn, the shame, the disgrace from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, listen to him, that he should defy the armies of the living God? For 40 days, no one, they have heard no one say anything like this. And here comes this little kid. And the people answered him in this manner, saying, so shall it be done for the man who kills him. But none of these guys have made a move to do that yet. Do we act like we know how God, do we act like we have confidence? That's my question to you guys. In God, in all manner of life, whether the circumstances are good or bad. Do we understand we serve a God a risen Savior who nothing is impossible for him to do. And that's the way we should live. We should live with confidence. We should be praying people knowing that if we're praying in the will of the Lord, he has the power and will act on our behalf. He's an omnipotent God. There's nothing that's too hard for him. Or do we let fear just entrap us and keep us in a position of not serving the Lord, or we, or we just go and sit on the sideline, whether we are a believer. We're just sitting on the sideline, and God doesn't want that for us. He wants us to be in the game. He wants us to do great exploits for him. But we can't do that if we don't have a strong walk of faith. Romans chapter 6, verse 8 through 12, I say these verses all the time. But what he's saying here, what Paul by the Holy Spirit is saying here, we shouldn't be in bondage to fear. We shouldn't be in bondage to anything because the Lord Christ has come and set us free from those things. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Therefore, or likewise, you also reckon, added up, accounting term, reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. We should live free lives, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lust. No matter what sin is screaming or mocking us and saying you can never be delivered from this, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We're capable of being free. We should walk in freedom. Verse 28, now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab, anger was aroused against David. That's okay. Anger and said not. He's doing pretty good right now. And he said, why did you come down here? He's still doing pretty good right now. He hasn't sinned. And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? He just messed up right there. He's ridiculing his brother. He's, he's picking a fight with his little brother, but he won't pick a fight with the giant. So he has to take his frustration out on someone, and that's what he's doing. He's taking it out on his brother, his little brother. He says, I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. This is the first battle for you and I. Whenever we step out in faith to fight the enemy, you better believe someone is going to say, hey, that is too much for you. I don't think you can, can, can perform this task. 
I think you're taking more on than you can handle. You haven't had enough schooling. You don't have a theological degree. You don't have any of those things. So this might be too much for you. And most of the time, it comes from your family. That's what Jesus has said. Think about Joseph and how his brothers treated him because he, he could interpret dreams. Think about Moses, how Miriam and, and, and Jethro continued to hassle them on the way through the wilderness. And Jesus, he says the same thing in Matthew 10, 36. A man's enemies will be those of his own household. And many of times, they're just concerned about you. Hey, I don't think you should do this. But if the Lord has spoken to you, then no matter what anyone says, we need to follow through. Don't let that stop you. Verse 29 And David said, what have I done now? So he must have got on him all the time. Is there not a cause? Of course it is. Then he turned from him to another. He ignores him. And that's what we should do when people are saying, no, you can't do this. You can't do that. If the Lord has prompted our hearts to do something, we should do it. And said said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Now, when the words which David spoke were heard... They reported them to Saul, and he sent for him. Wow, we have some guy out here that's really talking big. No one has said anything. We need to bring him to the the leader. Then David said to Saul, David forgets about protocol, allowing the king to speak first. He steps right up. Then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to him, You are not able. Hey, thanks for the confidence, Saul. No, I'm not able, but my God is able. You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he, a man of war, a trained killer from his youth. This is the second battle that we face a lot of times. We shouldn't listen to the experts. We shouldn't overthink things also. If the Lord has put on your heart to work, to to serve in a ministry here, or to even come up with a new ministry, if the Lord has said, hey, I want you to do this, I think of all of the women, and I'm blessed that the ministry of bringing food and serving, that's a ministry. They bless us every Wednesday. The people who serve in many different ways. But if you ever want to think outside of the box and the Lord has put something on your heart, shoot that venture of faith and go for it. We, too many times we sit on the sideline. When the Lord has prompted our hearts to do something, we should do it by faith and let him handle it. Whether we fail at it or not, we're never failing when we do something for the Lord. It's for his glory. It's for his honor. His anointing is upon us. He says in verse 34, But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. I would be bragging about that, but he's not. And this uncircumcised Philistine, he cares nothing about him will be like one of them, seeing, this is why he will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Notice, David continues to say the armies of the living God. He's not only speaking of the armies of Israel, the Lord of hosts. We know uh, going through the wilderness and at other times, God would use the hornet and the bee to run warriors out of the way. Everything he has in creation is his, and he uses it for his benefit. And he's saying this guy is down here defying the living God, and he could just squash him at any moment now. So I'm not going to respect him. That's what he's saying here. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear He will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. So he's giving glory. He's giving honor to the Lord. And Saul said to David, go 
and the Lord be with you. I don't know if Saul is talking Christianese here, the Christian jargon. The, uh, the spirit of the Lord has departed from him. And so he's just saying, okay, the Lord be with you. I don't know. But he's happy that someone's going out. But David needs no motivation from Saul. David needs no motivation from his brothers or anyone. His motivation is for the glory of God. If we, if I would think about that every morning and think about it all the way through my day until I lay my head on the pillow, I'm here for the glory of God. I'm here to bring him glory. He's the creator. He called me to his kingdom. And all he wants me, all he wants us to do is honor him. And we should live for his glory. So Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. He had not proved them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk with these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. Some say that the only reason Saul gave David his armor is because if David goes out and defeats Goliath, Saul would get at least some credit because he has his armor on. So Saul can get credit anywhere he can. He's he's in trouble. Then he took his staff in his hand. Notice what he gets. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David and the man who bore the shield. Now, Goliath is so bad, why does he even have to have an armor bear? I mean, he's tough. Why does he have to have an armor bear? But I won't get to ask him that. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him. Baza is the word. word. He was vile, and he, he thought David was worthless, and this is why. For he was only a youth. You bring this little guy out to fight me. Ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistines said to David, I want us to see this, take note of this fear tactic. We always hear of shock and awe when we went into to Iran and these different places. Shock and awe. All this stuff is going on. Well, that's what Goliath is doing here. He's having a shock and awe campaign of fear. He's been talking for 40 days or more. Nothing but putting fear into the hearts of the children of Israel. And that's what he's trying to do right here to David right now. And he comes at him once again. And this is what he says. Am I a dog? that you come to me with sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his God, Dagon, and all the rest of them. And the Philistine said to David, here it is, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air. Boom. And the beast of the field. Boom. Shock and awe. I may have turned to run. Let me tell you what First Peter says about all of this yapping. First Peter 5, 5 through 9. David, the goodness of David is all through these verses. God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There, that's David. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. When all of his other brothers were there and Samuel was looking for the king to anoint, David said, hey, I'll stay back here. If the Lord wants me up there, he will call me. I don't have to fight my battles. I don't have to work for a place of honor or position. If I just follow the Lord and humble myself, in due time, he will raise me up. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him. He's doing that, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant. Because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, Goliath, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith. That's what David has. That's what we must have, continue to nurture, continue to grow in. And it's no telling what kind of exploits we can do for the Lord. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, 
with the spear and with the javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the, na- the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know, this is the reason I'm doing this, that there is a God in Israel. David did not ask about when he, when he met Saul, got, got to Saul, uh, I get your daughter now, and uh, I, I, my, my father's house is exempt from taxes. Are you sure you're going to give me all these things? No. His motivation is the honor of the one true God here. David is saying, God isn't sleep, hasn't been sleep. God is not taking a potty break. He's not doing any of those things. He's been letting all of his wrath boil up, come into his nostril, his righteous wrath, and now he has found a man that he can allow it to come forth on to defeat you, Goliath. Then all this, then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Notice he says ours. So it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistines. Wow. Do we run like that to the battles that the Lord present to us? Or do we just cower? And I mean that because I think of myself. Sometimes I do that. It takes a minute before I get my sea legs and say, no, Lord, if you've let this come my way, you're going to give me the grace to handle it. But strengthen me and strengthen my faith. David runs to the battle. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistines with a sling and a stone. Remember Sunday, I spoke that when we bring something to the table in ministry, really all we bring is those five muffins and those two sardines. And now that I've read that, we only bring a stone (laughs) and a sling. It's getting less and less. God does all the work. And struck the Philistines and, and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore, David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of his sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. Now, the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley and to the gates of Ekron. They have found a leader, and they're following him because David's bravery, his anointing of the Lord, and they know that, and so they will go to battle with him. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistine, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem. But he put his armor in his tent. We need to remember our victories in the Lord. Because one is always, uh, 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 something is always coming our way. But if we can think back and remember how the Lord has delivered us, has come through for us, we can continue to go ahead. Verse 55. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistines, he said to Abner, the commander of the army. Abner finally shows up. Abner, whose son is this you? And Abner said, as your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, inquire whose son this young man is. Then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistines, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. He's not going to let that trophy go. And Saul said to him, whose son are you, young man? Now, this is a little confusing to me. I'm still working with it because uh, David has already went to Saul, tried on his armor. So more than anything, I've read some commentaries. David has been gone for 
two or three years, and when he calls, calls him back, he's bigger, he's different, and all these things now. Saul cannot recognize him. Yeah, that could be true, but he just tried on his armor not too long ago. I believe, my opinion, is this distressing spirit. Saul is becoming a man of, he's unstable. Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. If we need more confidence in the Lord, if we need, the Bible says God is no respecter of person. God never changed. That's why you sons of Jacob, I show mercy. Jesus Christ is today, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What he did for David, he will do for any believer in here. But we must yield ourselves to him and allow him to have his way. We need to be praying, Lord, if I don't have that heart, your heart, Lord, give me your heart. I want to weep for the things you weep over. I want to be frustrated and, and, and righteous anger over the things that you are, Lord. I don't want to go ahead of you. I like how someone says, I don't want to be on one extreme or the other. I want to be right where you have me, Lord, where, right where you want me. And he'll bless us. He'll do exceedingly abundantly all that we can ask or think if we continue to hold his hand and walk with him. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Father, for who you are. Thank you that you called us, you knew us from the foundation of the world, that you've given us good works to walk in. And Lord, sometimes let us not veer away from that road of good works. Keep us in the center of your will. Father, I pray for those that are hurting. I pray for those who might even be a little unsettled about all the things that are going on with the wars and all that stuff, gasoline prices, inflation, our government. But Lord, we have to understand that you are on the throne. Just like when you had all of those principalities and powers lined up, you were making decisions and you still are making decisions. And you're making decisions for your children's good because you are a good God. So let us remember that. Let us appropriate that. Let us walk in those things, Father. We love you. May we fall in love with you more. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.